And you think back to 2013 when the team lost all of those games and Sports Illustrated, they came out with the cover. George Springer in the throwback uni. 2017 World Series champions. How did they do that? Well, the Astros one out away from proving that there is no Sports Illustrated cover jinx. As a last hope for the Dodgers is Corey Seager. This is another Astros podcast. Pitch on the way. Round ball right side into the shift to his left Altuve. Has it in short right. Throws to first. And the Astros are 2017 World Series champions. Game seven on the road at Dodger Stadium. And the Astros prevail. World Series champions. Who would have ever believed? Welcome. Good evening, everybody. Bill Brown and the skipper, A.J. Hinch, of the world champion Houston Astros. Good to have you with us tonight here at Pluckers on Shepard. What a night. The first night anybody's come on this show as a world champion. A.J., congratulations. Wow. Yeah, it doesn't get old. Uh, I'd like to do it again already. Uh, but it's been an incredible uh, offseason, short offseason, and every day since the World Series, someone has come up to me in this great city and said thank you or said congratulations or said uh, job well done. And, and I think this city likes being a world championship city. Well, you can just see it by the turnout here tonight. And uh, it's going to be a short off season for you, but a very enjoyable one so far, hasn't it been? It has been. You know, we've, we've done a lot of different things. You see our players all over the world, really, <laughs> trying, to, trying to tell our story. And um, we've got a lot of different awards that were given out the last couple of weeks. We've got um, you know, a, a really short offseason. Sign me up for next uh, next offseason being really <laughs> short because it, it it means that that you played till the final day. We played into November, um, and like I said, no matter whether it's been sporting events, whether it's been gas stations, whether it's been grocery stores, uh, I think people are still wearing our jerseys uh, as I see tonight, and we are uh, we're still relishing in this business deal. Yeah, there's a lot of orange here tonight. Hey, folks! Speaking of awards, Manager of the Year by Baseball America. That's incredible. And, uh, you know, very, very well deserved. You know, a lot of people get credit, of course, when a team wins it all. But there were so many people involved in this, right? There were so many people. And, and, and obviously, even beyond the uniform personnel and the, and the advanced scouts that, that we use during the World Series, like literally uh, giving advice on specific matchups that were utilized. Um, pretty incredible to watch the, the work of an entire organization. Obviously, we get to be the face of it. We get to get to be on the on the field and, and be a part of it and, and certainly the players the coaches um, all deserve a lot of credit when you get uh, a World Series championship it, it it goes much deeper than who got the biggest hit or who, who got the last out uh, but those are pretty cool too well there's so much to digest we'll be taking questions from around the room here tonight questions on social media tonight and on Twitter you can reach us at hashtag AstroLine for your questions for AJ Hinch tonight but as you look back at things, and I think a lot of people here in the room might be curious as to the uh, routine you have for a postseason game. You talked about the advanced scouts and things of that nature, but uh, how much is it altered from your regular season routine of preparing for it's a game? No, it's nothing like, uh, well, preparing for a game is one thing. I think just dealing with the day-to-day. -day. Uh, to give you a good example, like we started at 5 o'clock on the West Coast, so I can go on the Dodgers side of, of when we were played in L.A., uh, my media started at 1 o'clock, and I did two hours of media from 1 to 3 before we even got to batting practice. When that happens, and whether it's a 30-minute meeting with the broadcasters, a 30-minute meeting with our, media, with our local media, a 15-20-minute podium session, that's just to get to the media. And I remember in Game 1 of the World Series, we played two hours and 20-some minutes. 
And I'm thinking to myself, I did just as much media as you guys played, <laughs> you know. So I felt like I had I had the harder job of the two of them. We lost game one, but it it was incredible to watch the 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 attention that comes with the World Series, the preparation for the for the games. It is so much more specific than than even during the season. During the season, I'm trying to manage maybe a seven game homestand or a managing where you're playing 14 out of 15 games. This is seven games. Your life depends on it. You feel there's off days in the middle of it. You can see that I use the same pitchers over and over again or the same position players over and over again, and everybody buys in that you're just trying to win today's game, and that uh, that doesn't go in one ear and out the other, you know, like it might sometimes during the season because the difference between winning game two, Marvin Gonzalez hits the homer, uh, we come back late in the game. Going going back to Houston down 2 nothing versus being tied 1-1 literally might have won the World Series for us. Yep. Well, you had two consecutive seven-game series. That's something you never have during the regular season. Yeah, I don't really want any more of those either. <laughs> like, those are really hard on the manager. <laughs> They're hard on the fans, too. <laughs> right. Anybody have a right. tough time with that at all? Yeah. yeah. Cardiologists got involved. Yeah, we had two game sevens in the, in the Yankee series. Game six was a game seven, yeah. even, though it, even though it was called game six. A game five here, just such an epic game. As you look back on that one, uh, there was so much to take in. Yeah. It's going to take months to fully analyze yeah, We that should game. do a whole documentary on game five. <laughs> it's the best game in my entire life, best game in, in, in World Series history. Uh, Kershaw versus Keuchel, 25 runs scored, exactly how you would have mapped it out. As, <laughs> as relative experts, maybe not be experts anymore, but it, it was so many, so many twi twists and turns, and even down to the end, and, and Taylor gets a base hit off of Davinsky, and all of a sudden we, we, we needed to have the walk-off hit, and then... You know, nobody better than Alex Bregman to come up at the end of the game and, and get the base hit to score Fisher, and, and we're celebrating. You know what was fun to watch in the World Series film premiere was that shot from up the tunnel as Correa and Bregman came off the field after that game. They looked like they'd played for about a half an hour. They were right. fresh as daisies at that point. Yeah, I remember when I was like 22. Also, <laughs> like I had a little bit more energy when I was 22. But these, these guys were so into the World Series. Watching our players like rise to the occasion and, and be themselves and laugh and joke and dance. And, and when you watch the premiere or with the, uh, the documentary, you're going to see George Springer singing during batting practice. You're going to see Jose Altuve joking around with everybody. Our players were so much in the element. And as like, you know, a parent of two girls, I, I think that that was a proud father moment for me where I was like, these guys get it. They know how to play and they know how to be themselves. And, and, and did they perform ever? And Bregman was so clutch. Uh, I don't know if I've seen a young guy at his age do that very much on the world stage in a World Series, right? Now, just ask him. I mean, he'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Bregman is incredibly gifted competitor, um, and he's hungry for more. Like, this is a guy that, that you can't get out of the batting cage or you can't get him off the away from the field. We've had to tell him, you don't need to come to the field at 11 a.m. for a 7 o'clock game, and most, most of the time you want to get your young players there, but... Uh, he loves the game. He loves his teammates. He loves competing. And, and uh, you know, I had an old coach of mine once tell me, when you're in, when you're in a game situation where you're trying to win, you've got to beat him with a single. And, and when Bregman in game five got the single, he didn't try to hit a homer. He didn't try to hit the Crawford box. He didn't try to be too big a hero. He hit a little small single that changed that entire series, you know, for the rest of the series. And it, it, it shows great maturity, and, it, and he, it's why he's one of the favorites on our team. Well, uh, just an amazing, amazing year. And now I'm sure you're probably trying not to think ahead to next year at this point. You have to have yeah. some time to enjoy it, right? Well, I'm going to be the bad guy one of these days and say, I don't want to talk about the World Series anymore. I want to talk about next year. And that <laughs> probably comes after FanFest. I mean, we've got to live it up a little bit longer. But 
Um, we will talk about next year. The good news is, is we don't have a lot of heavy lifting this winter. We're going to return mostly the same team, maybe a guy or two that we'll add. Some young kids that we're excited about. Um, but I'm not sure when, but at some point there probably will be the uh, turn off the, the late night talk shows, turn off the, uh, the world tour, and, and try to do it again in 2018. You've had some coaching staff losses. Carlos Beltran retiring now. Um, and that's a, a given with any team at this point of an offseason. But uh, just to speak to Carlos and, and the contribution he made, how would you capsulize that? Well, I think, I think for us, um, you know, when you have success and then you also have guys at the end of their career, we knew Beltran was going to retire. Uh, he didn't publicly announce it, but there was a general feel on our team that he was going to retire. And, and he was an extension of the coaching staff. He was somebody that embraced the, the players and uh, did a really good job of being a stable presence, that, that, that calm influence. And it, we needed it when we got swept in New York in the, in the championship series when um, just to take a deep breath. And, and he's the guy who's saying, hey, everything's going to be okay. You know, and, and I think that, that contribution goes a long way when, you, when you've earned that credibility over the course of his career and over the course of the season. Um, the coaches that, that have come and gone, you know, when you win, you're going to get guys, gonna get guys taken away. Some guys, uh, Cora gets the managing job, takes CB with them. Uh, Alonzo Powell gets promoted and goes out to San Francisco and, and Rich Dower retires. And so it, you know, they're, they're, it's going to be a new look and a new challenge for me to, to get these, these coaches up and running. Uh, and might be competing against our own guys. We're going to have Cora in Boston. We might have Beltron in New York. Uh, we got Astros everywhere now. Well, you got Joey Espada now moving in to be the bench coach. You had a relationship with him before this, correct? I did. We got drafted together uh, with the Oakland A's and played in the minor leagues together. And then I followed his career. I tried to hire him a couple different times. Uh, really good, good influence on our players, and is going to be very organized, very good for me. Uh, he was the third base coach of the Yankees, and if you can be the third base coach of the Yankees, you can be <laughs> just about anything. Um, I don't know if anybody in here has ever booed a third base coach, but I have. Um, but I, but I, it's tough. It's a tough job. So I think him coming over is a natural progression for us. He's got relationships with uh, with a number of our players, specifically the Latin infielders, which will be nice. Um, Alex Cintron gets, gets added. He was our, our translator last season, uh, but we used him a little bit more on the baseball side. He played over a decade in the big league, so that's a good addition at first. And then Jeff Albert and Doug White are two coaches that were in the minor leagues, worked their way through the system. We got to stay within, which is always nice to reward from within and get a couple coaches up here that have, have been in your own minor league system, have relationships with players. Um, but that's a lot of guys that we're going we're gonna to meet together in January, and, and I'll crack a whip and get him, get him going. When you welcomed the newcomers on the team a year ago, uh, when McCann coming in and Reddick and the others, who Charlie Morton was such a big contributor, uh, did you begin to feel at that point, once you took that club to spring training, that this might be a special year? Yes, I did. Well, once I knew I had to, had to sort of break it to McCann, you're going to bat 7th, 8th, or ninth. I'm going to break it to Yuli, you're going to bat 7th, 8th, or ninth to start the year. And then he moved up to the, to the five hole. Um, I'm telling Josh Reddick against lefties, you're going to hit potentially ninth. Marwin Gonzalez is going to hit eighth or ninth. Um, I was sort of conditioning them all to hit down in the order. When you're having those conversations with guys that, that a couple of years ago were hitting third or fourth or fifth, that's, that's telling you you have a pretty good, pretty good lineup. Um, the biggest key this whole season was get, getting into the season healthy. Having Dallas Keuchel go 6-0, 7-0, 8-0, whatever he was at the beginning of the season, coming off that injury answered a lot of questions that we had going into the season. Lance McCullough, same thing. Um, we, we, we needed to be healthy to get into the season, and we, we did. We ended up with 60 wins before the All-Star break, and that set us up to, to have such a big lead that, that we started talking about like a clinching number way too early for me, for my, for my taste, but 
but the players really felt like we were going to win the division once we got to July. Back in 04 and 05, Lance Berkman talked about when the Astros were, were striving for a wild card spot and they really had to push it hard right down to the end, the fact that those were the equivalent of playoff games there. Right. You didn't have that. Right. Uh, it, does that kind of worry you as a manager going into the playoffs that you didn't have? A that? little bit, but we did, what we did have is we went to play Texas, which I don't care whether, what records are. Those are playoff games to, to Texas and to Houston. Uh, then we go to Boston, and when we were in Boston, we had a chance to knock them out of the AL East uh, division race if things worked our way with, with the Yankees. And so we had something to play for. In Fenway, there's a lot of environment there. You're going to play. It was like a mini playoff game. Um, and we needed to get ready because we may have, we, you know, we, at that time we might have played Boston in the first round. We ended up playing them. So I, I think for, for me, there was a lull, and it was called the month of August <laughs> where we didn't play very well. And I think once we got past that, we got Correa back healthy. We trade for Verlander and Maven. Uh, McCullers comes back. It became a little bit more... More September was a little bit more, uh, you know, consistent with, with the way that we normally play. It just seemed that the team really had that focus in September. Well, we wanted to win the division. We're tired of the, the division going to Texas. I mean, I think that was like this team really wanted to win the division, wanted to take care of our own business. Uh, the wild card is cool and all, but we'd raised our standard, raised our, our sight line a little bit. So once September hit, there was a countdown. I mean, we, we knew we could clinch. Uh, in the first couple weeks of September, which is unheard of, and, and we played well enough to do it. A.J. Hinch, our guest, will have more after this on the Astros Radio Network. So you don't want to just challenge Judge here. Obviously, one of the most prolific power hitters in baseball at this stage. Struck him out on a slider his last time. 3-2. And Judge lines us over the leap of Correa and in the left field. Around third and coming home is Bird. The throw to the play by Gonzalez on one hop. The tag by McCann. Bird is out. Of an infielder with a quick release, a two-hand tag by McCann, perfect execution. You can't do it any better. Robert Ford and Steve Sparks describing ALCS Game One on that play at the plate with two outs in the top of the fifth inning. The Astros leading two nothing. A big play in that game by Marwin Gonzalez. AJ Hinch is our guest here on Astro Line, brought to you by Carbach Brewing from Plucker's Wing Bar. And we're available at uh, 99.1 HD2 FM as well as Sports Talk 790 tonight. AJ, the team really played well defensively throughout the playoffs. Uh, Marvin with that play, uh, uh, some plays by Josh Reddick, Bregman. Uh, this was uh, almost a clinic defensively for this club in the postseason, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, I think our defense got a little bit overshadowed by, you know, our offense. Obviously, our offense was really good, best in the league, and... and you know, the high-end pitching, especially after we got Verlander, was, was talked about a lot. Um, there was conversation about our bullpen, obviously, with, 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 with was very good during the regular season, and then the starters came over and, and did some bullpen work in the postseason. And all along that whole time, our defense was playing really well. And, and to have some of the plays that are made, especially in the postseason, every out matters, every 90-foot matters, the, the difference between holding a, a guy down the line and Marvin Gonzalez goes to the line and, and holds him to a single, that's a big deal all the way to some of these plays that Bregman made throwing home or, or Reddick made throwing, throwing home or um, some pirouetting plays that, that Correa made, some of the, out, the plays that Altuve made. Those, those plays in the postseason you know, are almost worth two outs. And, and to have our guys consistently show up and, and do well um, was the difference between winning some of these close games and, and maybe not. Lauren Blackwell is with us here. She's a content producer and host at Minute Maid Park. 
Lauren, you'll be uh, roaming around tonight getting questions from people. That's right. If people have questions for AJ, there's some of our shooting stars walking around, so make sure you get your questions to them. AJ, good to see you. We have some questions for you okay. already. I don't think anyone's ever going to get tired of talking or hearing about Game 5 <laughs> of the World Series. Have you ever been involved in a game that exciting? Never. Uh, and I don't know if I ever will again, no matter how long I'm in the game, because the expectation before that game was score a couple runs to, to get to Kershaw, and we didn't realize it was going to take 13 to win. Um, and some of the emotions of falling behind, you know, when Kershaw gets the lead, uh, just getting back to tied, what we felt like was a great accomplishment. And at 4-4, four to four, that game had barely even started. There was a lot more action left. So um, I, the emotional swings back and forth, the, um, the, 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 the mistakes that we made, that we, that we capitalized on their mistakes, they capitalized on our mistakes, and it was literally two teams throwing haymakers at one another until the final out. Karen from Houston wants to know, AJ, has it sunk in yet? I think she said she pinches herself daily. I think we all have. So has it yeah. sunk in yet? It's sunk in because, you know, I, it's, it's hard not to. You can't get away from it. And, and I love that part of it is that um, everybody is connected to this, whether it was Hurricane Harvey, whether it was uh, going through the lean years as Astros, whether it's connecting with a player. Our guys are very personable. They're always out there with the community. Somebody somewhere has a, a connection to this team. And, and then when you go through uh, and you win the World Series, there's – uh, there's great pride in that. So I, I think uh, it's sunk in because uh, there hasn't been a day since, since the World Series ended that, that, that we haven't talked about it or that we haven't smiled about it or that we haven't, um, you know, reminisced about it. We can talk about 2017 forever. Right. Moving on to next year, Tyler from Sam Houston State wants to know, are there any free agent relievers that <laughs> you might have your eye on? So I have my eye on all of them. I think it's a matter of whether, whether we agree uh, that it's the right fit. You know, coming back next season – uh, we do have the majority of our team coming back. And I, and I think the big question will be in the rotation, um, how the back end of the rotation fills out. We have Brad Peacock. We have Joe Musgrove. We have Colin McHugh coming back. Um, you know, some of those guys are going to go in the bullpen. Joe Musgrove did that this year. Francis Martez, a young kid, will get another opportunity. How that plays out will impact how many relievers we need. We, uh, in an ideal world, we'd, we'd have a left-handed reliever, uh, an additional one to Tony Sipp. Uh, we'll see how the back end goes. I think Ken Giles is a terrific closer. I don't, I don't think it, that it should scar him too much about how the postseason or how the World Series went. Um, I love the way that, that Will Harris and Chris Davinsky are kind of uh, are, are relievers that can float from the sixth inning to the ninth inning. But there'll be a guy or two that we'll be in on to, to, to try to find a puzzle piece that, that fits the group down there. Thanks, AJ. Fans, if you're listening at home, you can also submit your questions for AJ on Twitter using hashtag Astroline. Brownie? Sarah Kincard is here to handle that with social media. And uh, Sarah, do you have anything for us yet? Sure. Um, Emily wants to know, she wants to tap into the clubhouse a little bit, who is the biggest joker on the team? So the biggest joker, um, you know, I mean, I, I think, I mean, everything goes through George Springer in that clubhouse because of the energy that he provides and the music that he plays and the He's the guy that'll call everybody out. Um, I think most jokes are played on Jake Marisnik. So he and Alex Bregman's pretty close because they're both they're both special um, in their own ways. And I, uh, but our clubhouse has a has a you know there's a it's an oval shaped clubhouse which is great that that they all feel a part of this little circle and and it doesn't matter if you walk in that clubhouse and you're having a bad day. George Springer's probably the guy that's going to get you out of it. Awesome. Sarah, you probably remember uh, about mid afternoon one day this season when uh, the group of guys came out 
into short center field and gathered around <laughs> Brian McCann for a little ceremony at retiring Carlos Beltran's glove. Have you ever seen that before? I have never seen that before. That was, that was something else. Um, I'm not sure whose idea was that. Was that Brian McCann's idea? I don't know, but it was very well played. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think anyone quite wants to. They should have told me about it because I had plans to play Beltran in, in left field like two days later. We should have postponed because we had to have a resurrection after, after the funeral. But... Um, that does show. I mean, our, there's, there was nobody safe in that clubhouse that was going to get, you know, told that, uh, or called out, so to speak. And, and that ceremony, uh, McCann, you know, he did a great job officiating it. I think the players uh, played into it very well. Beltron thought that was hilarious. And uh, it, was, it was, again, it was another example of how close this, this team got. And I think we've heard a lot about that. We've read a lot about it. Uh, we don't experience it the way you right. do, but it obviously was one of those seasons when things were just about perfect in the clubhouse, right? Well, I think everybody experiences it just in different ways. Like, if you think of your best friends where you can be yourself, you can joke, you can laugh, you can make a stupid joke, you can you cannot, not brush your hair, you cannot feel like you're at your best, and, and you feel completely comfortable. That's essentially what we had in the clubhouse with 25 guys. So it, uh, we had team dinners on the road that were organized by Beltron, um, in Seattle and McCann in Atlanta and Gregerson in, in Chicago. And, you know, that, that happens all the time around the league. And you'll have, a, a, you know, a sprinkling of guys that will show up and they'll have dinner together. Uh, but it was virtually 25 out of 25 guys and all the coaches and me. And you're required to go. I mean, you were expected to go subtly because uh, you're a part of the team. And I'd never been a part of that consistent of a team. I've been a part of groups that have groups of 10 that go, go have dinner together. Uh, you know, when someone has to pick up the tab for a group of 40, that's a, uh, that's a real team. <laughs> that's a tab. Well, I was going to ask you about that when you were a player. You've already answered it uh, because it just seemed to many of us to be so rare to have that kind of a group get along that well together. We go back to, to the 70s, you know, with, with the fighting Oakland A's, and uh, Phil Garner tells well, we a story about We had a few fights behind the scenes. We, we weren't all like yeah. brothers have fights too, you know. Um, right. but, but you know what it was is the, um, the, the position players and the pitchers all integrated together, which is which you know, sometimes you can have a team that, Position players hang with position players, and the pitchers hang with pitchers. But, uh, you know, whether it's Altuve's a great connector in the clubhouse and, and McCann's a great connector and, and Colin McHugh and, and they're, they're Lance McCullers, these guys do a great job of, of, of not having just their boys be the guys that they're, that they're similar to. Um, you know, I'd walk in the clubhouse sometime, and you'd see, you know, a young kid, Michael Feliz, right-handed Dominican Republic pitcher, um, sitting over by Josh Reddick. And you would walk in and you would see Carlos Beltran at 40 years old, you know, hanging with 21-year-old Alex Bregman. And, and you, it was just, it was fun to see that there were no, um, you know, stereotypes in, in our clubhouse. It was just a culture of, of trying to help each other. And a lot of work goes into screening players before you acquire them to right. bring them in from the outside. All those guys seem to be a tremendous fit this year. They were, and it, you know, and it, and it comes from different ways. It's, it's, it's no one-size-fits-all because... You know, for me, I, I, I think I used the phrase, like, we need some adults in the room when I was talking to Jeff about, about adding to our clubhouse. And what I meant by that was just some guys that had experienced a little bit and had been there a little bit. And, and I was talking about Carlos Beltran. And then the front office, you know, literally out of nowhere, signs Josh Reddick and says, you know what, this guy, and they did their homework, and they knew he left-handed bat was going to replace some of our left-handed bats, had a little edge to him. They'd done their homework with some of the, the background and the medical um, and he turned out to be a great presence in our clubhouse. He's, he was the original guy that brought the belt that everybody was celebrating with. And, 
and he had a great vibe about himself. He will call you out if, if you're not ready to play or if you're not playing the game the right way. Um, he's a little bit of the muscle um, that, that, that we needed in that clubhouse. And then we trade for McCann. I've never been on a team that a bad team, uh, or I'm sorry, I've never been on a good team that didn't have a great catcher in, as far as a stable force. He doesn't have to hit the most home runs. He doesn't have to throw every runner out. But there's a stability that's behind the plate. And so whether it was, you know, my request to try to get a veteran like Beltron or the front office is like, you know, this Charlie Morton guy's pretty good. This Josh Reddick guy's pretty good. We get McCann, and all of a sudden it, the partnership worked to, to have a very special team. Sarah? Uh, speaking of new faces in the clubhouse, AJ, you mentioned Charlie Morton. And Sherry on Twitter would like to know, with Charlie Morton's great finish, where do you see him next year? I see him probably starting the, the, the third, fourth, or fifth game of the year. You know, I think his, his best attributes is that he's very consistent throughout. Um, he, he gets overlooked a lot because, it, you know, he doesn't have the flair of some of the, of, of the guys at the top of the rotation. And, um, you know, he came with a little fanfare because of the, the fact that he missed most of the previous season with injury. Uh, but he, he rolls out good start after good start, time after time. And to have Charlie Morton as a fourth or fifth starter um, is really a luxury. And, and you know, the, the, the postseason in the World Series, him getting the last out was, uh, was pretty incredible. But we're going we're gonna to have him start one of those first five games. A.J. Hinch, our guest of the world champion Houston Astros. More after this on the Astros Radio Network. So it's one out that'll bring up Chase Headley, the D.H. I don't know how many times a D.H. is batted nine. And on the hands, hit out to right field, backing up is Reddick. He's on the track, and he makes the catch and pounds into the wall. What a play by Reddick in right field. He may have taken a home run away there, Steve. It would have been high off that wall. And Headley, with a rip to right field, makes the second out. And that'll bring up the leadoff hitter, Brett Gardner. And on the hands and ripped into right field. That's a base hit. It's going to be extra bases for Gardner. Drops the left shoulder, wheels to second base. And he's going to take off for third. Strong throw from Correa to third base. The tag by Bregman. And he's out of here. Out number three of the third inning on a great throw by Correa. And down go the Yankees here at the top of the third frame. Two of the big plays. Those came from game two of the ALCS as the Houston Astros knocked off the New York Yankees, as you know, in that series. The 2018 spring training schedule gets underway February 23rd at the ballpark of the Palm Beaches. Make your plans now to see the World Series champion Houston Astros. For all there is to see and do, visit thepalmbeaches.com. And, of course, uh, A.J. and the guys broke in that facility last year, and things went very well at spring. We saw a lot of you down there for the spring training games, and uh, it was a wonderful place to enjoy and a, and a brand new venue. Had you ever been to West Palm Beach in the old days when the Braves were there, no. AJ? No, I'd never been there, but it turned into a great home for us. Uh, it was a game changer because of the travel. And, you know, we didn't have our entire team there for the, for the spring training because of the WBC. We had a lot of guys on Team Puerto Rico, Team USA. We had guys spread out all over the world. So um, it was nice to have a central home where – uh, the Mets and playing in Port St. Lucie, a 30-mile drive was, a, was, was deemed a long ride, which in Florida, uh, you know, the previous season in Kissimmee, I'd, spent, I'd probably put six or 7,000 miles on a, on a rental car just driving around Florida to, the, all, to all these games. So um, having, a, having a, an ability to get home for dinner or get, get to a restaurant for dinner after a game and, and not get the wear and tear of a, of, a, of, a, of a rigorous spring training, that was a game changer for us to be in West Palm. And uh, a chance to build the team 
unity. I think at that point we hear a lot about chemistry. I, I don't particularly like that word, but whatever word you want to use, uh, it happened in, right. in West right. Palm this year. It does, right? and we, we, we've spent a lot of time on, on um, sort of that team camaraderie and that culture that we talk about where we start the day with a, with a lot of uh, a team meeting, and it's a little lighthearted, and we'll, we'll introduce some of the younger players, and we'll have them do some things, and uh, we'll have a shooting contest around March Madness, or we'll have a, 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 a golf match that's set up for some of the relievers, or we'll, we'll do things that'll connect the clubhouse and get them to get to know some of the, the newcomers. And uh, we'll have a veteran pay for it all the time. Those are the guys that get the big checks, and we'll, uh, we have a lot of fun with it. But it, it, you know, we're around each other for 45 consecutive days leading into the season before we go on this six-month uh, seven-month, almost eight-month excursion. <laughs> so it, it's, a, uh, it, it's a lot of time with these guys that, that we, we've got to be one unit if we expect to be good. And those things you do in spring training really helps when a Francis Martez comes to the big leagues. It, it helps that he's done some bonding that previous spring. Right, and, it, and I think it gets them comfortable in front of the room. I mean, if, you, if there's one of the most intimidating things you'll do is stand up in front of a major league clubhouse and tell them about yourself and get quizzed about, your likes and dislikes and your history and your past. And I usually have a little bit of info on these guys that'll, that'll embarrass them a little bit or at least open them up a little bit. Um, you know, there, there may be a, a time or two where they've got to tell a story. I know a story about them of, that, they, that they have to recite, stuff like that. So, it, um, you know, whether it's uh, a young kid who, who, who you know, is going to be somebody like Alex Bregman the year before who is going to be on our team or whether it's, uh, a minor league free agent, Juan Centeno, who came from different organizations, ended up getting a couple of game-winning hits, was on our World Series roster. Uh, we need to know these guys from the get-go if we want to be a team that, that, that we expect to be. Lauren, you have any more questions yet from the audience? Yeah, AJ, you know, you were talking about spring training and how it's a good time to see a lot of the younger guys. Pete from Houston wants to know who in the minors... Is, has caught your eye or you're looking forward to seeing again in West Palm? You know, uh, we'll see if they get invited, but there's a, you know, last year was like guys like Derek Fisher and, 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 and Tyler White and A.J. Reed the year before, and um, there's always going to be somebody that's going to that's gonna surprise. I am looking forward to seeing Kyle Tucker. You know, we, we had Preston Tucker, his brother, and we still do um, in, in the big leagues and in, um, in AAA last year. So I, he's a young kid that, that gets asked about all, all these trades. He gets talked about in all the prospect lists. He went to the Arizona Fall League. I've never been around him a ton, but, um, you know, it, he's a guy that I'm interested in getting to know. Forrest Whitley's a kid that, that is really young. I'm not sure he'll come to big league camp, but he will uh, get noticed. I mean, part of it's because I think he's like 6'8 or 6'9 as a 19-year-old kid. The other part is he throws close to 100, so that'll always get your attention if you're the manager. So, I, um, th you know, those are our two probably best prospects. Um, I can't wait to see Francis Martez now more comfortable having been in the big leagues again. He'll, this will be a different spring training for him. Um, there's going to be a number of kids, whether it's Riley Farrell, a reliever, um, who has some Texas roots, or, um, you know, Garrett Stubbs again, who's a young catcher who played in AA, uh, another guy that I'm looking forward to. So there's, there's a number of players that, that um, you know, will get a ton of playing time, especially because I plan to rest some of, the, uh, some of the more star players early in the spring. You talk about you know, certain players grabbing your attention. I think Marwin Gonzalez grabbed everyone's attention across the league this season. Going into next season, have you thought about how you'll utilize Marwin? Yeah, so I'm going to use him um, a lot because <laughs> he's really good. But every year, so I got here in 2015, and Marwin Gonzalez came in my office, and he said, AJ, I don't see where I'm going to play. I'm like, just stay with us. I know at that time it was like Jed Lowry's at shortstop and Louis Valbuena's at third and, and Jose Altuve's at second. We'll find a spot. Chris Carter was at first. 
We'll find a spot for you. Ended up playing every day at, at, at shortstop and then quickly at first base um, throughout the year. 2016, he walks in my office. He's like, AJ, I don't know where I'm going to play. And I'm like, I don't know, but you probably need to play a little bit of outfield. So get a left field glove, go out in left field, shag some balls, take some work with Gary Pettis. And he ends up playing all seven games of the World Series in left field. Um, he's going to walk in my office in 2018, and he's going to say, AJ, I don't know where I'm going to play. And I'm going to say, shut up and go back to your locker. You know how this goes. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, he's going to play somewhere. He comes in my office. It's a great visual of, like, five gloves. And is like, which one do you want me to use? And I'm like, not that one, not that one, maybe that one. Um, and that's Marwin at his best. So, you know, depending on how the offseason um, goes, you know, there's – the DH ability, there's going to be some DH days for Jose Altuve and George Springer. There's going to be some DH days for Yuli Gurriel and Evan Gaddis. And, and chances are Marwin's the answer to fill in for those guys. And you look up and, and Marwin's going to get 500 plate appearances and, and hopefully perform the way he did this year. And you'll have Jake Marisnik back healthy, so that really helps the outfield picture. It'll help a ton. And we missed him in the World Series because of the, of the left-handed pitching that the Dodgers threw, and we, we didn't quite have the answer. And, and uh, what a great energy provider. What a, he, he really did find his swing. He's a fan favorite because of the way he plays with his hair on fire. Uh, provides some speed on the bases. Like There's, a, there's an electrifying component of Jake that, uh, that we're going we're gonna to love to get back. If you were to name Marwin as the everyday left fielder, that would uh, hamper his ability to fill in at the other position. Yeah, I don't really. I mean, I don't think I'm going to name him anything because I think he's just going to. He's a, he's a super utility, but he's an everyday player. You know, I think there's two things that come out of this season. We can stop calling Jose Altuve short. He's the MVP, <laughs> and we can stop calling Marwin a utility player because he's an everyday player. He just plays five or six different positions. So yeah. we'll find a spot for both of them. Sarah, you have anything more for us on Twitter? Yeah, AJ, there's some curiosity on Twitter about Colin Moran. How is he doing, and what do you expect out of him? You know, one of, one of the scariest incidents on the field I've ever been a part of is when he fouled the ball off his face in Baltimore, and, and he go out there, and he doesn't really know what's going on, and, and he was in a ton of pain, and we tried to get him up, and he, he, he almost passed out. Um, and then we realized the severity of that, of that injury, and to have him come back and get to the big leagues and just to be around for the, for the better part of September was, uh, was awesome. He's, he's got a chance to make our team as a bench player. He's going to compete with, you know, to Tony Kemp and Tyler White and, and the, extra, the extra bat off the bench. He can play first and third. We're going to introduce left field to him a little bit because um, that seems to be where, where most of the at-bats are going to be. Uh, the DH is a possibility for him. He can really hit. Um, but, but he's healthy now, and I think he's going to have a full offseason season. He works very closely with Jeff Albert, who is our new assistant hitting coach. And so having Jeff Albert in the big leagues, I think, will help Colin Moran when he, you know, when he gets here uh, to, to have somebody that he really trusts as a hitting coach and, and see if he can, can, can duplicate the numbers he's put in the minor leagues and, and apply to the big leagues. A.J. Hinch is our guest. 2018 Astros season tickets are on sale now. Enjoy some of the best seats at Minute Maid Park. Save money and receive great benefits throughout the season. Call 1-877-9ASTROS or visit astros.com slash season tickets to get your seats today. We'll have more of Astroline right after this on the Astros Radio Network. Bird at third. He's a tying run. Hicks at first runs pretty well. He represents the go-ahead run. And when you so badly need a, a ground ball double play, who better to have pitching than a pitcher named Ground Chuck? Morton with that great ground ball rate percentage. Here's a 1-1. Ground ball softly hit left side. Fielded by Bregman. He goes home with it. The tag by McCandon. He holds on to the baseball. He did. Bird is out at the plate. Two outs. What a great decision by Bregman. And you cannot teach that type of thinking in that quick of a time that Alex Bregman put a perfect throw for McCann to put a tag on the runner at home. 
Time for a little disclosure. When he made that throw, I said, what is he doing, AJ? Right. right. Well, let me tell you a funny story about that, and I think he shared this uh, in his interview. But in September, he fielded that ball, and he threw it to first. I kind of like, you know, didn't care about the run. And we grabbed him when he came off and said, hey, when we get to the postseason, we, per- we conserve runs. You've got to get the guy at home if you don't have a double play in order. And so, you know, I think we put the fear of God in him that he was going to throw every throw to home. And I want to throw every throw to home. But we, we, he's, you know, he had great instincts there. Uh, the, the, that play when he got Bird out was, was incredible. I mean, it took a perfect throw. And, and, and McCann doesn't get enough credit for holding on to that ball. Uh, later into the World Series when he did it against the Dodgers, it was a little bit of an, an easier play. He was out by, you know, foot as opposed to a few inches. <laughs> so yeah, it was an incredible on, defensive play. The one on Bird, that, everything had to be just perfect on that. No, no doubt. And, and we needed that to, to cut off a run. And, and, again, I think it shows the difference between the regular season and the postseason is the runs are so massive in the postseason. You score the first run in Game 7 when George Springer came around and scored in Game 7. All of us felt, oh, man, we, we got this. We're going to win. It was the first inning. It was the first hitter. And, and we were going to – we felt better about it, and that's how the postseason lives as opposed to in the regular season. There's a little bit less stress either way whenever, uh, whenever that first run goes across the board. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what do you have for us? Yeah, we have a question that came in through Twitter using the hashtag AstroLine. Um, Melvin wants to know, going back to earlier in the summer – how was that Bagwell Hall of Fame induction, and how did the players on the team react to it? Well, our, you know, our players love the fact that, that we have former players that come around. Nolan Ryan's around a lot. Craig Biggio's around a lot. Uh, Jeff Bagwell, Enos Cabell. Uh, we saw Roy Oswald came, came around quite a bit. Um, yeah, Lance Berkman comes from time to time. So I, we welcome that into our clubhouse. They've got something to give every player. I want every one of these guys to feel comfortable coming in our clubhouse. When Bagwell went to the Hall of Fame, you know, Bagwell's – you know, very serious by nature, but he's done a great job in the last couple of years just sitting around the, the, the cafeteria or sitting in the clubhouse, sitting in my office and just sharing his expertise. And, and so when you get to the Hall of Fame, our players felt connected to him because he's been around and he's been in our clubhouse and he's got relationships that, uh, that will last in, you know, throughout the game. So I, I commend him for his participation around us because as, uh, as a private person, he's a quiet guy by nature. Um, for him to come out and work with Yuli Gurriel on picks at first base or, or talk to uh, George Springer about, you know, about his stance. You know, we don't want him to hit like Baggy, but um, <laughs> that, 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 that pays dividends to our players that, that, uh, that we can't replace. You know, Gurriel came a long way this year defensively. He came a long way. You know, I, I don't think he was too keen on being on the right side of second base because, you know, his whole life he's been at, at third base or shortstop and, um, I have to give credit. Jeff Bagwell started in spring training. Alex Cora, uh, who's now the manager of the Red Sox, did a great job every day hitting balls to him because the, the play where you, that you notice the first baseman is when they don't pick the ball at first base. And so the best friend of Carlos Correa on a deep throw from shortstop or Bregman on a throw on the run or Altuve when he's up the middle, and we've shifted him up there, is, is Gurriel being able to control the ball that's low or move on the base if a throw's offline. And and he worked a ton with, with Rich Dower and Alex Cora and, and, and Jeff Bagwell and, and guys that, that, um, that could help him, and he took it serious. And, and I think it became pretty apparent to him when you watch Alex Bregman play third, like, I'm probably not going to play third. And I look at Carlos Correa, I'm probably not going to play short. First base was where he's going to get his at-bats, and he took, it, he took it to heart. And with the at-bats, he was so much more productive this year than a year ago. Was that just a case of being accustomed to playing here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think if you look at all of us and we just drop ourselves in the middle of a, of a foreign country and, and not only that, but you're going to go to the highest level, it's got to be a culture shock for any of us. And, and 
he'd taken some time off between the time that, that he, he left Cuba to when we signed him. And in baseball, that timing is, 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 is hard, to, uh, hard to get back. And uh, I don't think he was comfortable. I think he joined the perfect team. You know, I think the, the, the Latin culture that we have in our infield, the, um, you know, the, 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 the ballpark fits him perfectly because he's a, he's a predominantly pull hitter. Um, he's just a, he's a very good addition. And, and when we hit him down at the bottom of the order, you know, we could sneak up on some guys, but the better he hit, the more I had to move him up. And then he came up with some of the biggest home runs you could imagine in the World Series. He was truly amazing. You can get all your postseason and World Series merchandise at the Astros Team Store. Purchase customized jerseys, Astros gear, hats, and more. Visit Astros.com slash Team Store to see what's available today. Sarah, do you have another question for us on Twitter? Sure. Uh, AJ, Eric wants to know, going back to the postseason, players there's a lot of pressure there's a lot going on they want to know how you manage them and if you manage them differently based on the pressure so like for example marwin had a baby during the postseason how do you handle that situation uh well i think for me i try to be consistent every day one thing i've i've always told our players is they will know what to expect out of me every single day and so whether that's game one against the mariners or whether that was uh you know game seven of the world series they have to know what they're going to get out of me, whether it's my personality, the expectations, even my whether it's a hot temper or a cool demeanor, whatever whatever that's going to be, uh, they're going to know. And so I don't manage differently as much as I. Um, I think when you get to the postseason, you know, you try to enjoy it with them, and you try to, you know, I try to find. I don't I try to two or three days to go without me having a personal conversation with every one of our players, and that um, at some you know some are a little bit quicker than others, or some are in my office, some are on the field. Uh, some are personal about like Marwin's baby or, um, you know, or, or, or things and relationships and things they're in. It's just part of uh, managing nowadays is connecting with players. It's in my personality. It's how I, it's how I work. Uh, and I don't do anything different from day one to the end of the year. Do you have another one? Sure. This is a, a little bit of a different question, but how do you see the bullpen shaping up next year? Well, I think I think a bullpen is one of our strengths, and I know that's not necessarily how people are going to see it. But um, you know, whether it's in sports or in nowadays in society, we kind of have a short memory. We try to think whatever we saw last was what is what they're going to be, and that's not the case. I mean, there's time after time where Ken Giles comes in and strikes out the side, and Will Harris and Chris Davinsky and Francis Martez and and Joe Musgrove just turned over a whole new level of performance when when he went to the bullpen. I consider it a strength, and so I think those names are going to be in there. There's going to be a surprise guy. There's going to be, you know, if we can get Tony Sipp you know, back to the 2015 form where I gave him the ball in game seven, I mean, I'm sorry, in, in the seventh inning of, of the wild card game, if you think about that, that style of pitcher would be a great addition for us again. Uh, we're going to sign a guy or two or trade for a guy or two, and I, uh, I think it's going to be a really strong group. If Brad Peacock ends up there, that's as versatile and as good a bullpen guy as, as there is on our team. So... Um, it shapes up very similar to how it how it finished. I think we're going to have to get back to using our guys uh, and not not lean on the same guy over and over like we did in the World Series. You mentioned Giles earlier. What would you presume, knowing him very well, to be his mindset as he goes to spring training? He'll be fine. I think he'll be excited and 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 ready to go. You know, I, I think uh, to ha- to be a closer in the in the big leagues, you know, you do have to have that short memory because. The only time you're really talked to after the media is either if you have a consecutive streak of saves alive or if you blow one. And, and more times than not, that he's the guy that has to stand up there when, guys, when things don't go well or if he gives up a hit or a homer. And We put these guys in these volatile situations where there's really no upside. It's all downside. And um, his mindset will be fine. He came in my office and spent a lot of time during the World Series. And he, you know, we communicate well. 
he's a tough kid and 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 he throws a hundred and throwing a hundred you know will will we'll pay you pay will we'll pay off over the uh, over the spring and doesn't it make such a difference for everybody to be part of a world championship team no matter what they happen to do in those last few games of the season and they come to the spring knowing that they were part of the ultimate team yeah no they were there they all did something to get us there or to help us get the get the ring and even you know you look back and I think about Josh Reddick who um, you know who didn't have the best world series except he ran down a couple balls in right center he threw a great ball from right field uh, he came up with a big hit um, in 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 the postseason against the Yankees. Like, there's something that you can get to every player, and I'll make that's part of my job is to is to remind them that not of what they did wrong or what they do right, and that's a different style of coaching than than maybe how I was brought up or maybe how they used to do it. But encouragement goes a long way, and if you remind these guys what they did to help us contribute and what they did to contribute to help us win, that's pretty uh, pretty powerful. Well, the word team really does describe this bunch. We saw that combination of different people stepping forth and uh, certainly Charlie Morton was great wasn't he Charlie Morton and, and you know you look at Brad Peacock and and um, again like an unsung hero is Francisco Liriano came in in game six and game seven and got some of the some some really big outs um, he was barely used in the World Series and uh, Luke Gregerson you know who who again didn't pitch a ton in the World Series but did, did a lot of good things as an Astro uh, and it you know whether it's whether it's a pinch hit or whether it's a uh, you know, a, a, a moving a runner over or whether it was driving a run in or, you know, we used 24 out of the 25 guys that were on the uh, on the roster. The one guy didn't get into the World Series with Juan Centeno, but as the third catcher, he didn't get a chance to play. But it took every one of those guys to beat the Dodgers. Thanks so much for joining us. A.J. Hinch tonight on Astroline here. And our studio producer, Bob Elliott, our producer engineer, Matt Boltz, Anita Sagal, our senior vice president of marketing, Thanks also to Lauren and Sarah, and good night from our show here, sponsored by the Carbach Brewing at Pluckers. This has been a production. And whoever in this crowd wasn't standing before, well, they're getting to their feet now. Of the Houston Astros. This place is rocking right now. Radio Network.